Take a more view and Happy New Year. It's great to be with you this morning, uh, worshiping God. I'm so excited to see and to experience all God has in store for us uh, this year. It's a new year. It's the same God. It's a new year. We don't know what all what all's going to happen this year. Same God. Open your Bibles to First Corinthians. I want to spend just a little time in First Corinthians as we talk about the next step in our faith. As we talk about commitment today, let's start with this. First Corinthians chapter one, seventeen and eighteen says this: For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel is the word. You are gay, Leon. You are you are gay, Leon. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence. Let's, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now Paul wrote a lot to Corinthians, the church in Corinth, or churches in Corinth. I had a chance a few months ago to spend some time walking through ancient Corinth, and I, uh, when you walk into the city, and this would have been the road that Paul and anyone coming from the sea, they would have walked this one road to get to the city of Corinth. And if you go to this next image, here's a picture I took right here of the primary temple in Corinth. It stood high on the hill. Anywhere you were in ancient Corinth, you would see this. This was the temple that everyone would go to worship in. And right behind that temple was the primary marketplace. And though Paul doesn't tell us this, the primary marketplace is where most people would have gone to have sold their merchandise. And we know that in Corinth, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila had a tent business. They were tent makers and they sold their tents. Most likely on the other side of that temple is where Paul would sell his tents. Across the street from that marketplace is where the women of the city who were in a certain profession, it's where they would live. It is where they would have their baths so that they could try to be clean. And then to the right of that was the Bemis seat. And the Bema seat is where the philosophers of the day would be given permission. Not anyone could just go and stand up on that platform to share whatever content they had to share. You had to have an invitation. And we know that there were places like in Athens where Paul had an invitation to go stand on that platform. So that's, that's a place where philosophers would go, when, where faith would be talked about, where that, that is where people would go to hear the content that was the content of the day. And to the right of that Bemis seat was a, little, a small little platform where a Roman soldier would stand, a centurion. And he was there because if you got out of line while you were on that platform, if you started talking about the emperor, you started going off on the Roman Empire, you started talking about the government and the authorities, he could cut your mic off, pull you off that stand, make you stop what you were doing. And of all that was going on in Corinth, it's a large city, and no matter where you were, if you were in the marketplace, if you were across the street from the marketplace, if you were over where all the philosophers were, and the philosophers were those who most likely were saying things like, this whole message of the cross, this doesn't make sense, this is all foolishness, and everyone is pointing to that big temple. Because no matter where you were in the city, you could see it. But Paul gave a message to the people of Corinth. It's not the temple. It's not that temple up there that gives you any hope. What you need is, you you need the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. The message of the cross may be foolishness to you, but to those who are being saved, that is the power of God. You are Galeum. The word gospel. This wasn't a a word that Christians invented or made up. 
I mean, there are a lot of words that we find in our Bible that's not like Christianity started those words. Words like kingdom and gospel. And like these were words that were being used by a lot of other people. It's just Christianity took them. And even the word church, Christianity took those words and made a new meaning out of them. The word gospel was, it was full of political connotations. Like this was a, a courier of good news who would come into his city and they're either carrying a gospel from the emperor or most likely from a general. So they're coming into his city to announce good news and they're announcing good news, good news of a battle that was won or a kingdom expansion or empire expansion or good news of an emperor who got married or an emperor who had a baby and that son may be the next emperor. That's the kind of good news they were carrying. The good news in ancient culture meant that there were winners and there were losers. And the good news in ancient culture, usually it was meant in the plural. It was like good newses. There was a lot of good news they would bring into the cities. There was good news of expansion of a kingdom, good news of battles or wars that were being won. Like a lot of different good newses, but when it came to Christianity, Christianity didn't use the word gospel in the singular or in the plural form. They use it in the singular form. There's one good news. It's the good news of Jesus. And that the message of the cross for those who are being saved, this is the power of God. So I wish I could make promises about your health and wealth in the year 2022, but I can't. I can make promises about the gospel. That the gospel coming into your life is not based on your effort. It is not based on your health or your wealth. The gospel of Jesus is something you receive. So it is a posture, opening up hands, hearts, and minds to receive the good news of Jesus. And if you follow the word gospel in the New Testament, especially in the gospel of Luke, the gospel is not just something you receive, the gospel is something you act upon. It calls for action. Because if you just sit back and try to passively receive the gospel and take no action, it's not the gospel that, that you are called to step into and to live into. The gospel of Jesus is the message of the cross. And this message of the cross for those who are being saved, this is the power of God. So this month for five weeks, we're going to talk about commitment and just what is that next step in your life that you need to take toward God? For some, it could be a giant step. For some, it's just a small step. Just what's the next step for you? And let this be a month and a year of commitment of intentionality of growth because growth happens whether we want it to or not and if you choose to embrace 2022 or to step into 2022 in a very passive way there's growth that could happen but sometimes when you just sit back on a couch all the time and, and that kind of growth happens it's, it's not the kind of healthy growth you need growth that we need for our physical health our spiritual health our mental health takes a lot of intentionality and I don't know what we're in for in 2022. I don't know what you're in for. But I think the best question to ask is, who are we in this for? So whenever you find yourself in the next few weeks, or throughout 2022, asking, what in the world am I in for right now? Ask yourself the follow-up question, who am I in this for? Who are we in this for? There's a woman named Dorothy Levitt. She lived over 100 years ago. In 1909, she wrote a handbook, and people loved it. The handbook was called The Woman and the Car. And the subtitle was A Chatty Little Handbook. 
So Dorothy Levitt wrote this handbook. Now, this was the year 1909. So there are not a lot of vehicles out there, but there were some. And she wrote a handbook for anyone, especially women, who were driving west of Omaha, Nebraska. And in that handbook, she wanted to provide people with here's what you need to travel with, and here's what you need to think about as you travel, and here's how you work on your car, you know, because there weren't a lot of different cars out there. So you had to know this kind of thing. So people love the book. And there's, uh, there, there are copies of this little handbook that she sent out. And it, there's this image, and I don't expect you to be able to see everything on this image, but here were some of the provisions, provisions she wrote about in the handbook. That if you went to drive the Lincoln Highway, if you went west of Omaha, here are some things you needed to make sure were with you. A slab of bacon. Three cans of peaches. Three cans of pineapple. A dozen eggs. Uh, uh, two pounds of rice. It, it's this whole list of these things, bread and things you needed to take with you. And I, I'm sure somewhere on there there was a, a chicken nugget platter from Chick-fil-A. We just, this must be in a footnote or something. And then she talked about something else. And this wasn't just the things, the food you needed to take with you. She talked about all these other items. You needed a needle and a thread, one package of bachelor buttons, a pair of scissors, a pair of gloves, a pair of yellow goggles, a pair of white goggles, a mosquito netting. And you look at some of these and you're like, is this woman trying to encourage people how to drive or how to take a road trip or is she promoting murder? Like you just see some of the things she's talking about on there. And at the very top of that list, she says a one, one thing you have to take is a small mirror. And here's what she said about it. She said the mirror should be fairly large to be really useful. And it's better to have one with a handle. And just before starting, take the glass out of the little drawer and put it into the little flat pocket of the car. You will find it useful to have handy, not only for personal use, but to occasionally hold up to see what is behind you. And Dorothy Levitt, and though it's debated who invented the rearview mirror, that some people contribute that invention to her in 1909. Now, I remember a year ago, I talked about a rearview mirror of looking at 2020 and moving into 2021. I think it's a great way to think about a new year. It's a great way to think about your life. That a rearview mirror is there for you to take glances in and to peek in, not to stare into. It's a great way to process our past as we move into the future. And there are times when you look into a rearview mirror and it can be really helpful as you navigate the road. And if you're ever going down a road like Sam Cooper, looking in the rearview mirror can be terrifying. There's a rumor that Six Flags, they're creating a new ride called Sam Cooper Boulevard. Because they were in a meeting and they were thinking, what is the scariest ride that we can create for a person's experience and they drove down Sam Cooper Memphis and they thought Sam Cooper Boulevard that's it so on the ride you're just going average speed and as you're going average speed there's a, a rearview mirror that pops up and in the rearview mirror all you see and all you hear are the sounds and the sights of cars moving at the speed of light and you have to make a decision in the moment and the decision you have to make. The decision you have to make is, are you going to remain going at the speed you are at, or are you going to speed up because of peer pressure? It's really a ride about morality. Or you can choose to stay still 
and to go the average speed, and if you do, you may die. Like, that's kind of how it goes. And so it goes with moving through life as we glance in a rearview mirror. For too many people, a rearview mirror becomes their entire windshield. That they're trying to move into the future, but they've allowed their entire sight is only looking at their past. And for some churches, as they move into the future, that rearview mirror has become the entire windshield. And all they do is look at the past, unable to see how to navigate the future. I, I have a therapist, and the primary reason I go to a therapist is because she helps me look in the rearview mirror and the process some things I need to process so that I can move into the future. Last time I sat down with her, I sat down with her and I just kind of said, look, there's some stuff I'm dealing with in my past. There are times my heart has been broken. And why do I care so much? And which her response was, you care so much because you love people and you're human. That's why you care so much. And what she helped me to process, and some of you, this may not make sense right now, but it will at some point in life, and some of you it's going to make a lot of sense, is that a lot of times the reason we're processing our past is because grief just stacks, grief upon grief. There's no isolated grief in your life. It never goes away. It just stacks. So how do we carry grief and brokenness and moments in the past that have marked us? And then she, in, in her helping me understand the future, she said this. She said, what you need to realize in most people's life is that the first half of their working life, the first half of their vocational life is spent like uh, learning what their voice is, discovering their worth and their passion, and the second half of a person's working life is spent on legacy. And most people never make the shift. And she said that shift in someone's life happens around the age, or ages between 40 and 45 when you begin to discover that you have found your voice and your passion, and now it's about legacy. Who am I raising up behind me? How am I pouring into people? So for me, I'm 41. So I spent time with God in the year 2021 asking God, what do I want my 40s to be known as? Like, God, how do you want to use me in the next decade of my life? And God helped me settle on three things. Number one was properly directed passion. I need to be a minister, a church leader, and a dad and a father, or a husband. That's properly directed passion that I need to have a high commitment to character development. That we live in a culture and in a time when character seems to be a gift and an art and a value that's just kind of been thrown to the side. I need to be committed to character development. And last but not least, genuine humility. When genuine humility, if you study humility in the Bible, it's not just your standing with God, it is your posture with God that has an impact on everyone else around you. Genuine humility brings everyone else around you to life. Now here's what's really interesting, is that our church, we're 44 years old. Church at this location, right here at 1910 Sycamore View Road, we're also in that base. What does legacy mean for the Sycamore View Church as we pour into the next generation, as we navigate the future? A rearview mirror can be really helpful to peek at the past to move into the future. For some of you, when it came to Thanksgiving and Christmas, there was a lot of rearview mirror talk. Right? When we're together, usually, I mean, I'm assuming for you, 
that a lot of conversations with family and maybe close friends over the last few weeks hasn't been about what do the next 15 years look like, but telling stories about five years ago, 15 years ago, 40 years ago. When it comes to a church, a lot of times you can peek in that mirror just to see where have we been and what has God led us through so that we can move into the future. For Paul, of course, he didn't have a rearview mirror. Paul spent so much of his time helping people peek into the past to see where God has brought them from so that they could understand what moving into the future with God looks like. And he's writing to the church in Corinth where this was a church made up of people from all facets of life. People who been, had been impacted by everything going on in Corinth and now here they are as members of the church. They're Jew and they're Gentile. They're rich and they're poor. They're slaves. They're people from all kind of jobs and professions and past and here they are as part of the church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul walks them through and talks them through. I think one of the most beautiful images of the church. And here's how it goes in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 14. And just imagine the impact this would have had on everyone else who heard this. Because this kind of talk wasn't shared by everyone else. This was not a philosophy that was ever processed from the beam of seat. And here it is. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it will not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that, uh, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special, with special honor. And the parts that are unpre uh, unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And I want you to imagine that church in Corinth of who do you think was the person who was sitting over in the corner wondering if they belonged and what value they had in the community and could they ever really be a part? Because Paul's writing to a church where he had just addressed that the problem at the Lord's Supper is that the rich people weren't waiting on the poor people. Like you call yourself a church, but you're not, you're not sharing life together the way God intended this to be. And the verse before and the verse after, all this talk about the body, verse 11 says this in chapter 12, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes spiritual gifts to each one just as He determines. And spiritual gifts aren't something you can buy or purchase, they are given by the Spirit of God. And in verse 27, now you were the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And this is right in the middle of chapter 11 through 14 of 1 Corinthians where Paul addresses what a weekend worship service coming together of the church was going to look like. 
And for them, it was complete chaos. And it wasn't just that that was chaos. You read 1 Corinthians, and it was a messed up church. There are times people say, when do you be like the early church? And my response is, which one do you want to be like? Because all of them had messed up stuff going on with them. There are multiple times in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, now concerning, and then he'll bring up a new topic that's dividing the church. And when Paul writes 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, he even starts off in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And he picks back up on that, on that in chapter 3 where there are all these divisions happening. And it happens 2,000 years later too, right? What kind of flavor of Christianity are you a part of? And Paul writes to encourage these people. When it comes to the cross of Christ, those of us who are being saved, the power of God flows from the cross. And for that power, it brings us together. And that cross is for all people, not just the privileged. It's for all people. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, right in the middle of talking about worship services and all this chaos, there are two verses in which Paul talks about two sacraments, or maybe we should say, or we could say, two, two practices going on in that church. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now he's definitely talking about baptism. And it's debated whether he's talking about communion as well. John Calvin, Martin Luther, there are scholars today who think he's also referencing communion here. I think Paul is. And I think this is Paul's way of saying, in all of our differences, when it comes to what it means to be the church, in all of our differences, the waters of baptism and the bread and the cup that we drink is strong enough to hold us together through it all. And then he's going to go on to talk about spiritual gifts and prophecy and speaking in tongues and chaos happening in the church. And before that, he was talking about the same thing. It's like, Paul, pause for a moment just to remind people, don't ever forget, we're baptized into the same water. We take the same bread and cup. This holds us together and reminds us of purpose. And as we move into a new year with so much uncertainty... Sometimes wondering, deeper commitment, what are we committing to? Like commitment to what? We're a church committed to the gospel of Jesus. Where we want the message of the cross to impact all those who are being saved because it is the power of God. A few things like baptism and the Lord's Supper serve as that rearview mirror for us. They give us peaks into the past in order to launch us into the future. 
You only need to be baptized once. You don't need to be baptized every six months or you hit like your sin quota and you got to get baptized again to get in, like to re-up with God. It's, it's not how it works. But we live from our baptism every day. A few years ago, I remember someone telling me, they said, Josh, I cannot bring myself to pray for Muslims. And my response was, if you've been baptized, you can't say that. If you've been baptized... There's a certain way that God has called you to live, and we're living into it. And if you take the bread and the cup, and you touch them with your hands, and you put them into your body, we're peeking into the past, and we're asking God to launch us into the future. And as a church, we've been through a lot of changes in our 44 years. Almost every decade of our church's life, there was some change and some risk that Sycamore View took. It was just over 25 years ago a decision was made to expand this worship center right here. A little over 20 years ago, Sycamore View, like most churches in 2001, experienced great numerical growth. After 9-11, there was a, a, people were reaching for hope, and churches everywhere in the United States grew. It was 19 years ago a decision was made to expand how we worship together. We hired a full-time worship minister. We, ha we launched a praise team just to bring more voices and more energy into a worship experience. Over 15 years ago, we made a decision to stay right here in our location and to ask God to help our location shape our theology and for our theology to affirm our location, to be a bridge that was bringing people together from all walks of life. Eight years ago, decisions were made in the life of this church eight years ago to expand the role of women in our worship services where women began leading us in prayer eight years ago leading us in prayer and and sharing testimonies with us where all voices were included in the life of this church and through every change in every decade what you hear and what we practice is our baptisms matter for eternity and for how we live every day and that communion is a part of the practice and life of this church that reminds us of the past that has forever changed us and the future that God is calling us into. So step in. Take your next step. As we move into 2022, there are going to be a few things in our worship services that we're just going to expand. We're going to have a focused prayer time every Sunday, somewhat like what Fawn led us in earlier. We're going to pray through our core values. We're going to have rhythms where we pray over our 901 efforts, 316 efforts. Just to, as we grow a prayer culture in our church, we're going to have a focused prayer time to do that. And we plan to expand how we do communion together. Though right now with the COVID surge, probably isn't the best time for there to be a little more movement in this room. But we don't see passing trays coming back anytime soon. But we do want to create a communion moment where there is reflection and time for you to commune with God and with each other and to reflect, to use that as a time for God to really help us peek into the past and move into the future. And there'll be instructions on when we began expanding some of those things. But right now, I want to invite you to take the bread and the cup in your hand. If you're online with us, if you have the bread and the cup, if you'll take them, and let's just use this as a moment to peek into the past and to ask God to launch us into the future. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. For the message of the cross, even to this day, is foolishness to those who are perishing.
but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This impacts, this impacts everything. And God used this moment to transform how we live every moment of our lives. This unites us, it brings us together, launches us as a church. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please take the bread and the cup.